This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Adam Donier. So we have been going through Ecclesiastes. Most theologians believe Solomon wrote this book. Outside of Jesus, Solomon was what? The wisest man ever to walk the earth. Right? And so they believe he wrote Ecclesiastes. Some people don't. I believe he did. Uh, and so the reason why I feel like it's consistency with Song of Solomon and Proverbs. Right? But, but even though like, he's the wisest man, we won't say he always made the wisest decisions, which is crazy. We're going to talk about it here in a sec. And so this whole chapter 8 actually is about the wise and the wicked. Right? That word wicked seems intense. Right? The, the other day I told my wife, I said, baby, I love to spoil you. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You love to bless me. Let's get that word correct. I don't want to be spoiled. I want to be blessed. Like, okay, baby, whatever. Yeah, right, I, I bless you. We're, we, we hear this word wicked, and, and we think of like horror movies, right? Which I don't watch any horror movies ever at all, right? Not, not because, I, because I'm a Christian. Uh, it's because I enjoy my sleep, okay? And, and I pay the electricity in my house, and I don't need the lights on all night either, Okay? I'm not saying anything. I'm not judging you if you watch them. I've just never seen one Michael Myers movie in my life, and I don't plan on it. I just don't plan it. Like, but when we hear this word wicked, uh, we, we think things that maybe aren't accurately true. The word wicked, simply if you look it up, it's just evil or morally wrong. Well, if morally wrong is the definition of wicked, then every single person I'm looking at right now is wicked. And, and you're looking at somebody who is wicked. As a matter of fact, our hearts are wicked. There's nothing unwicked in us apart from Jesus. And, and so Solomon writes this chapter and he talks about a contrast between the wise and the wicked. And, and so as a matter of fact, Solomon could have had anything. God talks to Solomon and says, what do you want? And he prays for something. Does anybody know what he prays for? Yeah, that's all he asks. He says, God, I just want wisdom and discernment. Like, wow, that's crazy. Because you didn't ask for materialism, because you didn't ask for riches, because you didn't ask for more abundant things, I'm actually going to give you wisdom and discernment, and you're going to have to steward a plethora of blessings I'm going to bestow upon you. Right? It's crazy. He could add anything, and he asked for wisdom and discernment. But here's the crazy thing we know about Solomon. He didn't ever, he didn't always apply that wisdom and discernment God gave him. How do I know that? The brother had 800 concubines. That is not wise. Okay? I don't care what world you live in, that is not wise, right? And, and, and so don't just pray for wisdom and discernment. Pray for wisdom and discernment applied in your life. What good is it if you come in here every, every week and you get knowledge from sermons and messages and you grow and you learn and you study throughout the week and you never apply it? What good is that wisdom you've received from the Word? What good is that discernment the Holy Spirit is giving you that lives inside of you if you're not walking it out and living it? And so this is one of my favorite quotes I've learned throughout life is that knowledge without application is meaningless. You, you, you can know this inside and out, frontwards and back, but if you don't apply it, what does it matter? If you know the wisdom that is in this word, but you still walk counter to it in wickedness or in sin, what good is the knowledge that you possess? What, what, what good is any knowledge you have if you don't walk it out? And so don't just attain growth. Don't just attain knowledge when you come to church. Walk it out. Walk in it. And, and that's the wise. The wise don't just get wisdom, but they apply the wisdom that God is bestowing upon them. So let's get into Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 8, 7 through 8. Death is undefeated. Uh, sort of, right? 
And, and so I'm explaining here in just a sec. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the day of their death. Except one person who has power over death. Jesus, good job. You're in church. 99.9% .9 of the time, if you just say Jesus, you're going to be right, okay? <laughs> Jesus has power over death. And so we also know this, that Enoch, it says in Genesis that he walked with God and he was no more. So it doesn't look like Enoch ever died. There's also a prophet named Elijah. What happened to Elijah? He's taken up in a chariot of fire. That would have been a really cool trick to watch. Right? He's gone. Whoa, that was awesome. Right? So he, he didn't die. And then, and then there's somebody in John chapter 11 that actually does die. What's his name? Lazarus, well done. Lazarus dies. As a matter of fact, in 1114, Jesus pronounces him dead. And then in 1143, what does he do? Pulls him out of the grave. Dude's been dead for four days. Lazarus was dead for four days. And everybody's like, ah, dude, are you sure you want to call him out? It's going to stink. We don't want to roll away this. Have you ever smelt a rotting corpse? It's going to reek, Jesus. No, 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 no. Lazarus, come out of here. Lazarus comes out. It's another one of Jesus' miracles. They're like, wait a minute. They realize now before he even raised himself from the tomb that this man has power over death. You imagine? You imagine Lazarus now? Like Lazarus, that's all. He's all in. Dude, you are the Messiah. There's no, I was dead. I'm not dead. You are the Messiah. There's no kidding around here. He wasn't scared of anything. You imagine Caesar or Rome trying to threaten him? Lazarus, stop preaching about Jesus or we're going to kill you. <laughs> I've already been dead. You're going to threaten me with death? I know the one who conquered death and he let me out. You see, when you know Jesus like Lazarus knew Jesus, you don't fear death. There is no fear in death when you know the one who removed the sting from it, which is Jesus. And so death is sort of undefeated. Now, for the believer, for the wise, for those who walk in righteousness and in Jesus and understand who he is, there's no fear. For the wicked, for the morally wrong that haven't had their sins justified on the cross, there's a lot of fear. Because the reality is they don't know when they're going to die or how they're going to die. None of us do. And there's something to fear, but there's no fear in Lazarus' life because he knew the one who defeated it. There's no fear for us when we know the one who's defeated it. It goes on to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 10, Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who are morally wrong, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. Should never pray sin. Should, should ne whether... It's our own sin, somebody else's sin. We, should never, we shouldn't even share sin. Like, man, dude, look at this video. This dude just throttling this dude and beating his brakes off. Shouldn't even praise it. Shouldn't name it, shouldn't praise it. Like, we should never get excited about sharing or praising sin. As a matter of fact, I think the only thing conceivably worse than any of our sin in this room is justifying it. How do we do that? Well, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I, I'm, I'm not as bad as this person. I, I look better... God, God's not worried about your neighbor or your other person. He's worried about you. He, he's worried about you. And the reason I say the only thing conceivably worse than our sin is justifying it is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And it says this, that if we confess our sins, what? He, he's faithful, right, to purify us from all unrighteousness. There's a big if in the first part of that verse, if we confess. Guess what? If you justify your sin, you'll never be in a place to confess your sin. 
Because confession comes with humility and brokenness. Justification comes with pride and trying to cover up. And so when we ever think about praising sin, that we'll never get to a place of humility. We'll never get to a place where we need to be with forgiveness. We'll never be a place where we need to humble ourselves and walk through that process. I showed this illustration a couple weeks back and I'm okay with sharing it again because I think it's so pertinent and important, right? The, the pride never come to heaven. The, the wicked never get to heaven. And let me explain and reshare this illustration real quick by D.A. Carson, right? Matthew 7, 14 says, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it, right? You, you, you can't get into heaven on your own pride. It doesn't work. You can't fit. Matthew 7, 14 is correct. Matter of fact, when I was a young believer and I read that verse, I was terrified. I was like, man, I don't know if I'm getting through the small gate and I don't know if I'm getting through the narrow road. But, but see, the reality is it's not about what we've done or what we can do in puffing ourselves up in knowledge, puffing ourselves up in wisdom. What good is it in applied? When we attain biblical wisdom and biblical knowledge, you know what it cultivates in us? Something called humility. Matter of fact, Christ is the epitome of humility. We see this in Philippians 2. And so Christ says what? He who is first will be last and he who is last will be, right? He flips everything upside down in his kingdom. It's the opposite of everything. The prideful are in the back and the humble are up front. And, and so the only way any of us ever come through the kingdom of God, we got to deflate ourselves, humble ourselves, then we get into the heaven. That's it. You, you can't get through on your own. And what's crazy is once you come to know him, he fills you up with his spirit. He fills you up with him, and then you fit in the kingdom of God. You grow more in the awareness of the cross. You grow more in awareness of who he is. You grow more awareness of your sin and his holiness and how much you need him. Right? Sin is never to be praised, especially as you're growing in your relationship with the Lord. It never takes place. It goes on to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, this is so important for you to hear. You may be the only Bible a non-believer ever reads. And, and when we retaliate or we act or, or, or we respond in the same way in traffic or at a restaurant, when a waiter or waitress messes up our order or when we're hurrying a grocery store or, or, or we just vulgar or venomous or rude or we get online and we spit off of someone who doesn't agree same with us politically, they're reading a Bible in that moment. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I've never once in my life, and, I, and I've been in ministry now for 23 years, I've never once in my life heard somebody say, hey, how did you come to know the Lord? Oh, well, this person that, that claimed to be a Christian cussed me out online. And, and after they cussed me out, I was like, man, I want to hear more about your Jesus. Uh-uh. I've never heard it. But you know, I've heard people in 23 years of ministry come to know the Lord Jesus from like, man, how'd you come to know the Lord? Man, there was this guy, or this was lady, and she was so sweet, and she was such a great listener. He, he was so kind and he was so generous and, and, he, and he tipped me really well and, and, and we had a disagreement but the way he handled our disagreement was in such a gentle and respectful way. It was done with such courtesy and, and heartfelt compassion. I, I'd never experienced somebody like that before and so it intrigued me to want to know more. It, it intrigued me, like, what does this person have that I don't have? And, and they don't talk to me like everybody else talks to me. And they can disagree with me, but they can do it in a loving way. I, I've never experienced this. This is so unique. 
I've heard stories like that, several stories like that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to end with a similar story like that as we wrap these things up in a little bit. Okay, and so we are the only Bible that people may ever read. So, hey, Joe Burrow fans, cheese fans, you might be the only Bible they ever read today, okay? Right, so, so just, just because something's not going your way, what are they reading? Right, as a matter of fact, your, your friends that are coming over to watch the football game with you today, right, and your chiefs aren't doing well, and they're not believers, what's your response? Right, is the remote going through the TV? Are we stomping? Does your wife have to stay away from you for the two hours following the game? Oh, if I didn't just see this, then I don't know what I just saw. The Chiefs ain't Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. And so just know as everything we encounter and everything we go through, you may be the only Bible people ever read. I love how Martin Luther King Jr. put it. He put it this way. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Only love can do that. And so as you, as you know, one of our five values at this church is evangelism. We have discipleship, fellowship, worship. Evangelism is one of those five, right? And so you talk about as we come and pour into you and pour wisdom and pour knowledge into you, the application part, remember knowledge without application is meaningless. The application for you is to go and let be a Bible people can read. And then when you engage, engage and share the gospel. Share the good news that you have. If you are the wise walking with Jesus, then rescue the wicked. Otherwise, you are too being wicked to the wicked. But if you're wise, then share the good news that you have. And, and it's Christ in you. They will know you by your love. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. They will know you're my disciples by you love other people. Not, not by the way you love other people that also cheer for chiefs. By the way you love people that cheer for the Bengals. By the way you love people that cheer for different teams for you. By the way you love people that don't think the same way to you. As a matter of fact, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus said, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So who are you supposed to love? Yes, the people that make the hair on the back of your neck stand up when they walk in the room. That's who Jesus told you to love. Ladies and gentlemen, you have permission to hate one person in this world. Do you know who it is? Period. End of list. It stops. That's it. That's the list. That's the list, and you get to hate sin. You get to hate sin, and you get to hate the father of sin, which is Satan. That's it. You have permission to hate no one else according to the gospel. And love, it actually draws the wicked to the wise. Love actually draws the wicked to the word. Love actually draws those who are wicked to the goodness of God. Right? I don't know if MLK just took this quote and took it out of this verse, but the verse part of this is Romans 12, 21. It says, do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. Who is good? 99.9% of the time, you're going to be right, church. Who is good? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That's it, man. Shoot, you better pay attention in church if you want them to answer your prayers about the chiefs. Come on. Jesus is good. Matter of fact, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher. He says, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. The rich young ruler didn't realize Jesus was the one who was good. He's the good, right? So don't overcome by Satan, but overcome evil with Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Overcome it with Jesus, right? So I, I lead a staff meeting uh, every Monday morning. I got about 18 staff members and I lead a staff meeting. And uh, I'm going to show you a similar illustration that I did with them is not as big because I don't want a huge mess. But uh, a couple years back, I grabbed a big milk carton. 
and I, and I put the milk carton in the middle of this big conference table that we have at the staff meeting that I leave every week. And as I set the, the milk carton on the table, I grabbed the nail and I just went up to the milk carton. I just started poking holes in it just like this. And, and, it, and I'm just poking holes and there's milk going everywhere. Like there, there, I mean, it's just going, there's, there's milk, going, white milk all over a black table. It's just going everywhere. And, and, and some of my staff just start doing what a lot of us do. And they just start pointing at this mess going on. They're like, oh, it, it's spilling, it's spilling. You don't think I know it's spilling? I'm the one that poked the holes in it, right? Some of them, some of them went and grabbed napkins and started, and started ta- ta- uh, cleaning up the mess and the table and trying to do it. One staff member out of the 18, one, I actually had duct tape right next to the mess, one staff member went as fast as they could while everybody else is scrambling to go grab napkins while most of the people are just pointing at it. Hey, do you know what's spilling? Do you know what's spilling? No, I don't know what's spilling. Yes, I know what's spilling. Yes, I know there's a problem. One staff member like MacGyver grabbed a piece of duct tape and fixed everything. You, you, you see, there's three types of people in here, to be honest. A, a lot of us love to just sit there and point at the problem. Hey, look, look, it's spilling. Look, there's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem. Look, they're sinful. Look, there's a problem. Right? Then, then some people try to fix the problem, but they don't really know how to fix the problem. They try to get to the external rather than the internal. They try to fix the outside rather than getting to someone's heart. And then few of us are willing to take the time, the sacrifice, the emotional energy, and be like, you know what, here's the problem. I'm going to fix it. We're going to be able to salvage as much as we can. You, you know, for younger people, it's that you're pointing at the church. Look, the church does this. The church does that. The church is the problem. Why instead of pointing at the problem, become a part of the solution? What I was trying to teach my staff is stop being overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Be a part of the solution. Stop telling me everything that's wrong and be a part of the solution. We love to do this with work. This boss is wrong. This employee is wrong. This is, be a part of the solution. And, and, and there's two options if you don't like your job. Either be a part of the solution or quit. Right? And then if you go to your next job and there's the same problem, be a part of the solution or quit. And then if you go to your next job and there's the same problem, there's a common denominator and it's not your boss. Christians should not be a part of the problem, y'all. We have Jesus, which means we have the answer, the only answer, and we should be a part of the solution. So stop pointing fingers. See what the left is doing. See what they're doing. See what the church is doing wrong. See what's wrong with their worship. See what's wrong with their preachers. See what's wrong with everything else. And you point at all the problems. Or you're like, ah, that's a mess. I'm going to try to clean it up. I don't know. God, how would I fix this? Oh, you want me to get to the heart. Oh, now it's not spilling anymore. And now, oh, now, now we're, we're saving less collateral damage. Now we're being a part of the solution. Ladies and gentlemen, the wise thing to do is to be a part of the solution, not the problem. Gossip, that's a part of the problem. Slander, that's a part of the problem. Hate, that's a part of the problem. Now, love, that's a part of the solution. Forgiveness, that's a part of the solution. Listening, that's a part of the solution. What good is wisdom if we don't apply it? What good is wisdom if we just point fingers at the problem and don't offer ourselves as part of the solution when you all know who the solution is, which is Jesus. Can I get an amen? Goes on to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 12, although a wicked person or a sinful person, let's just say a sinful person, which is all this, who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, Right? So, so, so Solomon is saying here, even though you might see evil, sinful people prosper, 
and be wealthy and whatever else. I know that it will go better with those who fear God. I, I used to wrestle with this word fear God. As a matter, as a matter of fact, if you look in it, Yerah, the Hebrew word, it's actually to be a, a reverential awe, right? Who are reverent before him. So as believers in Christ, understand the same thing that Lazarus understands. That we have no fear of death. We have no fear of nothing. Right? We, we have a reverential awe for our creator who created the cosmos. And when you step out in the Ozarks in the winter, it's amazing the stars that just illuminate the sky. Yes, there's a reverence awe for him. We should be in reverential awe before him. He's the creator of the universe. But now those who are wicked, there, there's a legit fear. There should be a legit fear. Be, because he defeated death for those who trust that he defeated death. For, for those that don't know him will still taste death. Right? For eternity. And so finite freedom, it will not last infinite justice. And so many of us think that we need to be the one to, to enact justice on the behalf of people. Eternal justice is not our doing. Now, social justice, yes, God invites us into that. E -e Eternal justice, that's God. Your job as a believer is to let them read a really good Bible that is accurate and true that shows love and forgiveness and grace. You know, you know most non-believers and atheists that I encounter, their, their, their issue with Christianity isn't Jesus. Their issue with Christianity is what? His followers. It's the issue. It is, is that his followers look just as wicked as the wicked. Right, when my prayer for Woodland Hills, this is my prayer for everyone that engages in this church, that grows in this church, that's built up in this church, everything about this church, right? Uh, this church is phenomenal, but here's my prayer for this church. Is that a non-believer wouldn't say this, that a wicked person wouldn't say this. You see, I don't believe in Jesus. And see those people that go to Woodland Hills? Their lives look no different than mine not believing in Jesus than theirs do looking in Jesus. But, but, but what if, what if they said this, man, I don't believe in Jesus, but that neighbor that goes to Woodland Hills, there's something so uniquely different about them. They, they have a joy I can't explain. They have a countenance that just drives me crazy in a good way. Like, like I, I just, they scratch their head because they have something I don't have. And I wish I knew what it was. Y'all, that, that, that's not worrying about your finite freedom won't last, outlast the infinite justice. Those who are in Christ will experience freedom forever and ever and ever. And that's the important thing, right? Going on to the next slide, it says this, Ecclesiastes 8.15, and I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. God wants you to enjoy life, right? But being under Ted's leadership, and how much he's pushed this on me, like where I've been under maybe some legalism before I got to get with Ted, has been the most freeing thing. Y'all, by the way, it's Ted's birthday today, okay? Yeah, it's his birthday today. He doesn't want any materialism. He didn't even ask me to say this. He's probably gonna be mad I'm even bringing it up that it's his birthday today. But look, you have no idea how spoiled, I mean, how blessed we are. We have no idea how blessed we are to have a pastor who doesn't back away from truth. Who, who, who hasn't wavered, faithfully loves his wife, faithfully loves his kids, his kids praise him, who he constantly is. It's unbelievably how blessed this church is to have the leader we have in Ted Cunningham. So this is how I want you to bless your pastor with the birthday. You don't have to get him anything materialistic. I know this church has impacted a lot of you in this room. Take five, 10 minutes, write him a note this week. 
He didn't ask for this. This is, this is from me caring about someone who's had a deep impact on my life. Write him a note how this place has impacted your life and send it to the church. Let Ted know how Woodland Hills has impacted him and God has used his leadership. And he won't take credit. I know him. He's too humble. He's a humble leader. That's why it's so easy to follow him. But, but he wants you to enjoy life and he pushes people to the truth of the gospel so that we'd all enjoy life because that's what God wants. He didn't put you to say, hey, enjoy earth in the prison you're in. Yes, you'll have trials. Yes, you'll have tribulations. Yes, it'll be difficult. But at the end of the day, God is not some prison foreman that just wants you to hate life. No, he wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy taste of food. He wants you to enjoy fellowship. He wants you to enjoy your chiefs. So be it. He wants you to enjoy all those things. But ultimately, he wants to be first in your life. Right? So, so some of you know this. I, I coach basketball. I'm around basketball guys all the time. And I, I have a player that's going to be in the next service. His name's Colin. And I've shared the gospel with him 50 times th this fall. He got with me in August and he's been with me this whole time. I've shared the gospel. I showed, shared Romans Road with him, which is Romans 3.23. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. But the wages of sin is uh, death. And then Romans 5.8. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Romans 10.9 through 10, which says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. I even walked him through the Evangel Cube and I said, hey, Colin, you're over here. You're death, right? You're separated from God, which it says, Revelation 4.8, holy, holy, holy was the Lord God. God Almighty, who was and is that is to come. You fall short of the glory of God. Yet while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then after they, they crucified him, they buried him in a tomb with Roman soldiers and put a Roman seal on it to make sure that, that, that no one was going in and no one was coming out. But it didn't matter because he tasted death so you and I don't have to. He lived the life we all should have lived, died the death we all all deserve to die. And because of that, after he defeated the tomb, he comes out of the tomb and he says this, John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one, nothing should come to the Father except through me. And then you have a choice. You either keep walking in the wicked, which there's a destination for that. If you can't see that, that's flames. Or you surrender your life to Jesus and, 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 and you enjoy eternity in heaven. That's what the gospel says. Nothing, crickets, just over his head. All evangelical bridge illustration. Share the gospel with this guy. Six ways to seven. Every way I can explain it to him. And then two weeks ago, he comes into my office, and we're just sitting down having a chat. And, and I said, "Man, I'm a, I want to show you a video clip. I can't even show you guys this video clip in, in service because it's just too intense. So I'm just going to show you the picture." And so I told Colin, "I said, I said Colin, I, I want to show you a video clip." And so I show him this video clip from the Passion of the Christ. I don't know why, something was stirring in me. Like, I, I don't think he realized what Jesus did for him to save him. And so I show him this video clip. And he said, and this was, this was like two Thursdays ago when it was just raining all day. It wasn't a cold rain, but it just rained all day. It just rains all day. And I show him this video clip. And as I watch him watching the video clip, I just see his eyes starting to water up. So, so see tears starting to come. Video clip gets done. It's one of the most brutal scenes I've ever seen in any movie ever. They wanted to capture the reality of what took place with our Savior, the slaughtered lamb. He teared up and he said, why did he do that? I said, Colin, he did that for you. He did that for you. He took that death so you don't have to. Crying and, and so the, and I said, man, what's the deal? He said, man, I, I'm ready. I go, what do you mean you're ready? He's like, I'm, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm done. I'm, I'm all in. So, so true story. Stick around for the next service to ask him yourself if you want. We pray. He surrenders his life to Jesus. We get done praying. All the clouds cleared up 
I don't even remember this day. It was cloudy all day, rainy all day, about at four o'clock. Go back and look at it. Sun just starts beaming through my office. I said, Colin, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You've gone from darkness to light. You've gone from wicked to wise. You've gone from death to life. And so he and him and I have been doing a Bible study ever together, and we text back and forth on verses we were just reading. But I also told him, I said, Colin, now it's really important. Now it's really important that you keep entering into things that stir your heart's affections for Jesus. It's really important that you walk to those things and you're in those things. And so Woodland Hills, I have a question for you today. What stirs your heart's affections for Jesus? What is it? Well, is it, is it worship? Is it when you spend time in the word alone and reading his word and he, and he speaks to you? And that stirs your heart's affections. Is it koinonia, fellowship with other believers? And that stirs your heart's affections for Jesus. Because listen to me. Satan wants nothing in your life that stirs your heart's affections for Jesus. He wants to rob it. He wants you so consumed with social media. He wants you so consumed with the news. He wants you so consumed with the wickedness. He wants nothing in your life that stirs your heart's affections for him. Because when our heart's affections are stirred for Jesus, it's when we want to live for him. It's when we want to walk with him. It's when we want to glorify him. And for me, Woodland Hills, it's his creation. When you give me away from all the noise and all the people and everything else, and I'm in his creation that man hasn't ruined and that man hasn't touched, and I'm just alone with him under the stars or the majesticness of the mountains or whatever it may be, he stirs my heart's affections for him like crazy. And so you say, Adam, but there's nothing that stirs my heart's affections for Jesus. Then I would just gently ask, do you know Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to the one who has defeated the tomb and tasted death so that you don't have to? But, 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 but Adam, you don't know what I've done. My past, my wickedness, I know this. There's no past, present, or future sin of yours that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. None. And so he says, run. Run to those things that stir your heart's affections for him. Run to the word, run to prayer, run to creation, run to fellowship, run to meditation, run to silence, run to solitude, run to these things. Author Gary Thomas writes a phenomenal book called Sacred Pathways, discovering what stirs your heart's affections for Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, when I don't run to those things, I get in a short temperamental place. But when I keep running to those things to stir my heart's affections for Jesus, I'm a lot better Bible for other people to read. I'm a lot more patient. I'm a lot more filled with grace. I'm a lot more filled with love. I'm a lot more filled with compassion. So Woodland Hills, run to those things. Run to those places. Run to those people that stir your heart's affections for Jesus. Because nothing in the enemy wants your heart to be stirred towards him. Nothing. Never, ever. Satan hates and will not allow silence in your life because he knows in those moments of silence is where God stirs your hearts of affections. It's where Jesus can get you and get you alone. So the noisier your world is, the louder your world is, the less likely your heart's affections will be stirred for him. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this church. God, I pray if there's anyone in here that hasn't surrendered their life to you, they'd come up, meet with the prayer team, 
and have a conversation. Nothing weird, nothing awkward, Lord, just you pulling on their heartstrings today. You sharing the gospel and illuminating it to them today. I pray you'd be with this church body. I pray as they leave here, they'd be a glorious Bible that non-believers read this week. Be with them. Thank you for Ted and creating him and what he means to this church and all the leaders. Father God, we love you so much. It's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen.